Hi, you're listening to Tales from the Jungle, Living with Addiction. This is a podcast written and produced by a mom of an addict, specifically for other families who live with and or interact with an addicted family member. Jungle fans, welcome back. We're at episode two um, of a two-parter with Angel, who's been great here helping us understand what it's like inside the life of um, being addicted. And she's been super candid with us, and, and I'm so excited to continue on and hear more of her story. So when we left off, I had left her with a question about whether when she was trying to um, get sober, if she would get uh, fixated on her drug of choice and just be thinking about that and triggered all the time. And um, I know from experience, I've seen that with other addicts and I just wanted to know what her experience was in that way. So Angel, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Um, Go ahead. Yes, I absolutely have uh, the answer to that question. (laughs) So um, (laughs) absolutely everything triggered me Um, as far as um, feelings, um, you know, happy, sad, um, you know, ecstatic, worried, stressed out feelings triggered me. People triggered me. Um, places, even if I was, um, you know, all the time when I was driving, because where I'm from, there wasn't a parking lot or a convenience store or anywhere that I hadn't met someone and bought drugs or went in the bathroom and got high. I basically was, I was constantly um, white knuckling it. And I have been to detox 46 times and I was in four long-term treatments. Yeah. Yeah. I was constantly trying to get constantly. I didn't want to live that life. I wanted to be clean so desperately. Um, you know, but like I said, I had that desire. Did you ever? Did Did you ever think about moving out of state to a new environment where you wouldn't see those triggers all the time? I did. Um, absolutely, I moved like four times, but um, a geographical change, you know, can can sometimes help. But no matter where you are, where you go, there you are. Like we are our problems. The drugs are just a symptom, an unhealthy coping mechanism. What I have learned in my experience is my problem is Angel's problem is Angel. You know, like that's that's my problem. And the drugs are just a mm-hmm. way that I cope with it. Um, and 
but yes, I, I mean, and especially being an IV user, um, you know, if I would see people with really good veins or if I would get, you know, a month or two clean and I would start to notice, um, you know, my veins, oh man, that was a horrible trigger for me. Um, hearing pill bottles, you know, like the rattling of pill bottles, um, was a trigger for me. Uh, anything, you know what I mean? Like when, when you're an addict and anything, um, can trigger you, you know? Um, and so what was it, what was it that made you get to that point where this is it, this, this is the last time? And, and mean it. I mean, you were there a number of times, but what really did it for you? So what really did it for me um, was at that time, um, a lot of people call it rock bottom, which is what I used to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, now I call it a divine storm because I, my, you know, my family, my dad specifically, I feel I absolutely have the most wonderful dad in the world. Um, you know, but he was oh, loving. Wow. He was loving me to death. Um, he was mm-hmm. my main financial source of, um, you know, for, for me to have the ability to pay for my drugs. Um, he, I'm sure deep down knew that that's where the money was going, but I was such a liar and such a manipulator um, that I could come up with really good, plausible, but not true stories um, every single day of why I needed the money. Um, My children were always, um, you know, like, my number one excuse or lie, um, because I know how much he loved my children, you know, so, um, just pure Mm -hmm. manipulation. Um, but long story short, what happened was I moved back to Daytona after being gone, um, for about two years and I was there for less than a week. And, um, like I said, I have, I don't know if I mentioned, I have two daughters. I have a 24 year old and, um, my youngest, she was five at that time. Uh, two weeks ago, she just turned okay. seven, but, um, I was high oh. I was sitting, and my oldest daughter, um, called my dad because he was out of town and said, look, like she is high. And of course I tried to lie, but I guess I was slurring my words on the phone and he sent his sister over to check on me. And it was apparent that I was high. Earlier in the day, my oldest daughter had recorded me nodding out. Um, and my youngest daughter was, you know, in the room just playing while I was nodding out. And so my aunt called the cops and my daughter showed them the video of me earlier in the day. And so they arrested me. Oh, wow. Yeah. They arrested me for child neglect. Um, DCF got involved. And because I had never really been in a lot of trouble with the court system, I was released on pretrial release the next day. But when I got to my dad's house, DCF was already there. 
And um, they were like, yeah, no, you're, we are removing your daughter and um, she's going to stay with your aunt. Um, They wouldn't even let her stay with my dad just because they knew the nature of like how extreme, you know, he was with enabling me. Um, A week later, I... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'm sorry. Um, I don't mean to interrupt your story, but no, when, you're okay. talking, when you're talking about your daughters and, and things like that, um, I, it sounds like, especially for your oldest daughter, that she was very hurt by your addiction. Oh, um, yeah. For her to have recorded you like that, it means that she knew what was going on. And, and so... Can you talk a little bit about what you saw it doing to her and and how it affected her when when she was growing up? Oh yeah. Um and so I she you know her dad like I said passed away um from a you know a drug overdose. And um right. So her best friend at that time, well her mother was the regional prevention director for the only drug, um, you know, like substance abuse program for all, like for three counties in our area. So I constantly, really? <laughs> so I was constant and I wasn't using then. And so I was constantly bringing my daughter to these workshops for children, um, to teach them about drugs and the dangers of drugs. And, um, you know, we just had very open, uh, communication about drugs and what they do to you, um, and how they affect your life and, you know, that drugs kill people. And so then when all of that happened to me with my ex-husband and I start using, it's like everything that I had taught her was just like, okay, well now I'm a liar and a hypocrite because here I am doing all of this. Um, and, Luckily, she was about, um, I would say, 13 or 14 when my using got really bad. And um, luckily, you know, thank you, God, and thank God for the amazing people that I had in my life because um, they really stepped up and, you know, loved her and provided for her. And even though, you know, we still had a relationship, um, when she was 14, she moved out. Um, she wasn't living with me anymore because my addiction, um, you know, was so bad that, um, you know, she, it wasn't an environment that she needed to be in. And, um, you know, so did she, um, did you try and use with her? Did you ever offer her drugs or no, 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 no. Oh no. Uh Uh-uh. Well, I know, I know addicts who have, that's, I just had to ask. Yeah. No, Um, no, we never. So she was against drugs the whole time. So that early childhood education you gave her really stuck and she was anti-drugs the whole time. You never had a fear that she would start using Oh, I absolutely, of course, I absolutely did. Um, And I will say she went through maybe about um, less than six months 
um, of like experimenting, like, you know, she would drink and, um, you know, I know that she has, um, you know, because we've always, I've, you know, just always, because I didn't grow up in that type of household. So I always let her know, no matter what it is that's going on, um, you can come to me with anything, even if, you know, you think I'm going to be mad or I'm going to be disappointed, no matter what it is, as long as you're honest with me, like we will get through this, you know? Um, and so she did have a few months there where she was like experimenting, um, with, you know, different, um, substances, but, um, you know, she never got addicted. Um, and you know, I don't want to say all teenagers do that. Um, you know, but a lot of teenagers do experiment and I was just scared to death because I'm like, it runs on my side of the family. It runs on her father's side of the family. I was right. terrified. Um, so, but thank you by the grace of God. Um, you know, that didn't happen for her. And, um, and, and what about your seven year old? How, uh, how she adjusted to this whole thing? Because you were in your active addiction during the earliest part of her life as well. Is that correct? Right. Right. In and out of rehab. Um, well, no, I, um, the only time that I went into rehab since, um, you know, I had her was this last time when I went and, uh, DCF, you know, was involved and things like that. And, uh, um, you know, I lived at that time during her early years, um, my youngest during her early years, I lived with, um, my mom because I was just incapable. I was unemployable and, you know, there's no way I could have, you know, I couldn't function like a normal member of society. And, um, so I was, and you never married her dad. Um, no, uh, no. Okay. Um, and he has absolutely no part in her life at all. Um, you know, whatsoever. Okay. And right. that is, I mean, he's still actively using and, um, you know, I haven't, we, ha- I haven't spoke to him in years. Um, and so does she ask you about, um, why, uh, you know, you're acting different now, I'm assuming than you acted when you were using. And, right. and does she ask about what the difference is or right. does she ask you mm-hmm. about things that she saw when she was younger or things like that? Right. Well, I don't think um, that she remembered because even though, you know, I was using my, um, you know, my mom was there and I did get her up every single day and get her dressed and get her ready. And she went to daycare during you know, the day and then in the evening she would come home and I was at least capable of, you know, doing dinner and bath and bed, um, you know, and I had my mom there to help. So I don't want to like downplay it, um, you know, because it was not a healthy situation, but I believe Mm -hmm. because she was so young, um, you know, she doesn't remember it. However, though, when DCF was involved this last time, when, um, you know, I 
was arrested for child neglect and DCF took her and she was placed with my aunt. A week later, I totaled my car. And from that moment, my Uh. family, all of them completely cut me off. I mean, 100%. I was blocked um, on every social media. They had me blocked on their phones. I couldn't call them. I had a no contact order. I couldn't go to any of their property. Um, They absolutely overnight. And um, it was the absolute best thing that they could have. My dad, especially because he was, you know, like my dad raised me and he was, you know, the biggest person that, you know, as far as financially, um, that's where I got my money from. You know, I didn't really, when, when he cut me off like that, my only option was to, if I wanted to continue using, um, was basically to sell my body and prostitute myself. And I had never done that. And I wasn't willing to do that. And, Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like a divine storm. And I said, you know what? Well, and then I tried to commit suicide um, and that didn't work. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. Um, But I said, you know what? Okay, like I have one option left to get clean. And I went to detox and when I got and then I went to a long term treatment center for women and children. And I remember when the day that I got there and I went in my room, you know, after admission and everything. And I remember sitting in there and thinking like, I have absolutely no one in this world. I have no one right now, no one but myself. And I wanted to die. And I was so miserable. And I remember all those years in and out of the program, people telling me that I needed to pray. And I got down on my hands and knees and I prayed and I cried and, you know, that was the beginning. And then I had an amazing counselor who introduced me to um, meditation and different types of uh, treatment modalities other than talk therapy. Like I did EMDR therapy, which is trauma therapy. Um, And I learned to, um, you know, ground and connect with nature, to meditate every single day, to pray every single day, to do positive affirmations in the mirror. I completely cut out television for my life um, for two years and read a lot of books. I got out and I went into, I did the next right thing and I went into a sober living And I got a really good sponsor and I connected with women who have a lot of clean time and live a program of recovery Um, because there's a big difference between just being abstinent from drugs and living a life of recovery, Um, you know, and so absolutely, absolutely there is mm -hmm, all of those things combined Um, plus working a case plan really, really hard, um, to get my daughter back. And man, I just did the next right thing every single day, even when I didn't want to, even when it was hard, 
um, even when I wanted to give up and just really relied on my higher power and the women in the 12 step program. And I worked the steps. I got involved in yeah. service with H and I going into detoxes and places like that and telling my story and uh, sponsoring nice. other women and, you know, just doing the program the way that it was suggested. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And and how long have first two questions? How long have you been clean? And um, once you, um, when did you get your daughter back after you got clean? Um, so I, they, she was removed um, July nineteenth, and. Um, yeah, which actually um, is today. That's the day that she was removed two years ago. Um, oh, wow. And um, I got her back July 15th. And they were ready to give her back to me March 5th. But that's when COVID hit and everything shut down. Um, so I would have. So you're talking about March of last year and July of last year. Well, Not this July year. of 2019 is when she was removed. Um, and right. then and, and 2020 is when she came back. Right. Now, mind you, I okay. at that point um, had unlimited visitation with her. I was picking her up, spending, you know, I was having weekends with her. We talked every day, um, you know, but that it took you know, about six months to get to that point, because for the first six months, I only saw her one hour a week supervised. Um, and, okay. You know, so, but I had to, you know, prove myself and I had to, you know, stay at that treatment center and keep um, passing all of my UAs and meeting all of the requirements um, that were required right. me at my treatment center and through the courts. And, um, and so how long has it been that you're sober? Um, September 28th will be two years. Oh, congratulations. That's Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Um, so if there's one thing that you would want people to know, um, people who are maybe not addicted themselves, but have an addict in their family, what was the one thing that you would want to say to them? Um, so for not for the addict, but for the family member or the loved one. Is that what you're saying? Um, right. Yes. Um, do not love them to death. Let them feel their consequences. The best thing that you can do for the addict, for the person that you love, is learn to take care of yourself and to let them deal, let, let them feel their own consequences. Let them figure it out. Don't bail them out of jail. Don't give them money. Um, you know, don't give them the things that they want. If you baby an addict, you will bury an addict. Um, you know, yeah. that's it's I mean, the day that my father quit enabling me, my life completely changed completely. And wow. I feel like if he was awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, I but I also believe in, you know, timing and divine 
intervention and things like that. And it happened when it was supposed to happen. Um, but absolutely, you know, once he let me feel my consequences and I had to, you know, put on my big girl panties and figure it out myself (laughs) and I couldn't run to him to bail me out of whatever situation I was in. That was it for me. You know, that Yeah. Can I ask one last question? Yeah. Um, do you, do you think it matters which rehab you go to? You know, detox is one thing. You don't really get the health and the counseling and detox, but do you think it matters which rehab and which halfway houses people go to, addicts go to to get clean? Does um, that make a difference? Well, I feel like this. Um, there are going to be pros and cons for every treatment center, and there are going to be pros and cons for every sober living. What it comes down to, because when I went to the the sober living that I went to, there were I was finding needles um, in the bathrooms. I knew people were using, right. um, you know. So there's no perfect treatment center. There's no perfect halfway house. If somebody wants to use, they are going to use. If somebody does not want to use, they are not going to use. You know, so it really comes down, I believe, to the individual. I mean, should, but I also believe that treatment centers and sober livings should be safe places for addicts. And, um, you know, a lot of them are ran very differently. Um, So I think, you know, you need to do your due diligence when you're checking into these places, Um, you know, because some of them I've seen, you know, can be just you know, flop houses. And as long as they get the weekly rent, they don't care. Um, but, uh, you know, there are so many wonderful halfway houses out there and so many wonderful treatment centers out there. Um, you know, so that, and that's just my experience with it. No, I appreciate that. It's, it's hard to know from an outsider's perspective because we're never there and we only hear, stories that were told by our loved one. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're true. Sometimes they're not. So mm-hmm. you never know, but this has been amazing. I mm-hmm. so appreciate your time and everything you've done to take out and, and join us on this podcast. Oh, thank so, you. Um, I thank you. Same. I'm so honored. And um, I'm so glad that we've been able to connect and I hope that we will stay in touch and please know if there's ever anything that I can do, all you have to do is, um, you know, reach out to me. I would be more than happy to help in any way. And I truly mean that. Thank you. Yes. Oh, thank you. I feel the same way. And if you ever need to just reach out to me as well. Um, I'm going to end the podcast right now. Okay. And um, goodbye, Jungle fans. We'll talk soon. Music is Riding the Dragon by Movie Theater.